John chapter 21, starting in verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, 
If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it's in my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege that it is to come together and open your word this morning. Help us to see Jesus and to see our need for him. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, one of my favorite things to do when I don't have anything else to do, which is not often, uh, but something I love to do that helps me wind down and relax is to go fishing. I love all types of fishing. Fishing from a boat, from the shore, fly fishing, even though I'm not really good at that and I tend to hook myself quite often. And I'm excited if we ever get some winter weather to go ice fishing in the new year. But I know some of you, uh, fishing is the last thing that you would want to do. Um, But I love fishing, and my whole family loves fishing. Um, I don't consider myself a, a professional, but I grew up fishing with my dad, and he passed on all his fishing wisdom to me. And I've read multiple fishing books and constantly watch fishing YouTube videos. And so I know how to read the water and the weather and to know where the fish are depending on the season. And yet there are times when I feel like I've done all the right things. I'm in the right spot at the right time with the right bait and yet nothing is biting. And this was the experience of some of the disciples in our passage this morning. Verse 3 says that they were out all night and caught nothing. Now, chapter 21 is interesting because right before it, uh, in verses 30 and 31 of chapter 20, John gives us the purpose for writing this gospel. He says in verse 30, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, if we were writing a book, that would be the perfect way to end it. And yet John includes another chapter. Why? Why is chapter 21 important for John to include at the end of his gospel? Well, there are some loose ends that need to be tied up. And a lot of this revolves around Peter. Peter had denied Jesus three times. 
And even though Peter had seen those grave clothes in the tomb that pointed to the resurrection of Jesus, and even though Jesus had come and appeared before his disciples twice and had spoken peace to them, Peter was still struggling. And he had not been fully restored. And so I think that John included this chapter so that we would see that Jesus restores those who have failed him. Jesus restores those who have failed him. Because a question comes up with those who have believed in Jesus, and it's the question, well, what about the times that I failed him? What about those times where I've failed to believe? What about those times when I've failed to trust him to provide? What about those times when I've denied him? And so John presents to us this moment in the life of Peter. And we see that the risen Jesus is deeply committed to restoring his wavering and doubting and sometimes failing disciples. There are three things I want us to see in our passage this morning. Three things. The first thing is the revealing of Jesus. And then the restoring of of Peter, and then the refocusing to follow Jesus. So the revealing of Jesus, the restoring of Peter, and the refocusing to follow Jesus. And the main point, what I hope you see in the text, what I hope that you are encouraged to do, is to believe and follow Jesus, the risen Savior, who redeems and restores those who have failed him. Believe and follow Jesus, the risen Savior, who redeems and restores those who have failed him. All right, so let's first consider the revealing of Jesus. In verse 1, John writes, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. So John tells us that Jesus revealed himself to his disciples. He says it twice in this verse, and then he says it once more in verse 14. And so Jesus isn't just appearing to his disciples, but what John wants us to see is that Jesus was revealing himself to them reminding them and showing them who he is. So the disciples were in Galilee near the Sea of Tiberias, also known as the Sea of Galilee. Well, at least seven of them were. Look at verse two. Simon, Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. Now some have suggested that Peter going out to, to fish is an act of rebellion and that he was abandoning the call of Christ. But there's nothing in the text that suggests that. We do know from Matthew and Mark's gospels that these men were in Galilee because Jesus told them to go there. 
And there's nothing inherently sinful about going fishing. Maybe they were hungry. Remember, some of the disciples were fishermen by trade. And so maybe they went out in order to provide for themselves and their families. But they do seem directionless here. They don't know what to do. They're far from fruitful. And their fishing that night was a picture of their lives without the help of Jesus. But whether this was an act of disobedience or simply just a way to provide for themselves until Jesus got there, it was all under the providence of Jesus. He used this moment to reveal himself. These skilled fishermen fish all night long. They knew this area. They probably had some secret fishing holes that almost always provided fish. And yet this time, they were out all night and caught absolutely nothing. They needed the risen Jesus. One of the big lessons here, Jesus had already taught them back in chapter 15, where he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And that apart from abiding in him, apart from abiding in Jesus, they can do nothing. And we often hear that verse and we think that it only applies to spiritual things. But in all reality, apart from Jesus, we cannot do anything, even things that we think we're good at. As you read this passage of the disciples being out all night and catching no fish, it should remind you of another time in the Gospels when the same thing happened. Back when Jesus first called these men to follow him. Again, they had been out all night with no catch, and Jesus tells Peter, let down your nets. And there was such a large number of fish that the nets started to break. That was at the beginning of their call, and now here, Jesus is revealing himself to them again, reminding them and teaching them who he is for them. He's teaching them even what you think you're good at, you cannot do without me. Look at verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now try to imagine what this was like. These guys are tired. They've been up all night. They're getting close to shore and this unknown figure appears on the beach. And John says that they didn't know that it was Jesus. You know, the sun was about to rise. It was dark. And this person asked from the shore, did you catch any fish? I mean, that's what people say when they see people fishing. I've been in the Fox River, and the second I lock eyes with someone who's walking by, that's what they say. Catching any fish? And the report the disciples had to give in this moment was one that no fisherman 
Likes to give. No, didn't catch a thing. And then the unknown man on the shore starts telling them how to fish. You can imagine the disciples at this point. Who is this guy? You think lifting up the net from this side of the boat to the other side of the boat is going to make that big of a difference? You don't think we've tried that? And yet they do. And John says in verse 6 that they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Jesus is teaching them that they are absolutely dependent on him, even down to catching fish. Remember, Jesus is the one who is at the beginning of their call who, who said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And so in this illustration of them not being able to catch fish in their own strength, he's teaching them spiritually that they're not going to be able to be fishers of men without him. The disciples who are fruitless in and of themselves are made fruitful by the risen Jesus. And it is by his word that they have an abundance. It was a large quantity of fish. Look at verse 11. John says that it was 153 fish. Now, Many people have written lots and lots of papers and books about what's so significant about that number, 153. And yet I think John mentions that number because that was the actual number of fish in the net. He was there. He witnessed it. Someone counted, and it was 153 fish. But it was a lot of fish. A lot of fish that would have helped the disciples financially as they continued on in their ministry. And so we see Jesus caring for his disciples. Think about this. Jesus does not only care about your soul, but he also cares that you are provided for. And he's the one who provides. We see the revealing of Jesus, the risen Lord, the one who called them, the one who provides he makes them breakfast. And now we see the restoring of Peter. Look at verse 7. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said, It is the Lord. John notices that this is a miracle. We don't know if Jesus makes the fish appear or that in his omniscience and knowing all things that the fish were just on the other side of the boat. But John connects the dots and knows that this is Jesus. And look again at verse 7. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. You can't help but love Peter's responses. John tells us that Peter had been stripped for work. He was naked, probably only wearing a loincloth. And he realizes that it's Jesus on the shore. John nudges him and tells him, hey, it's the Lord. It's Jesus. And what does Peter do? He puts on his clothes before going into the water. 
I'm not sure if you knew this, but you don't normally put on your clothes to go swimming. You take them off. And yet, there's something that we're meant to notice here. I wonder if there's something about Peter's nakedness that made him think, I need to cover myself. Maybe that lingering sense of guilt and shame. Remember, Adam and Eve covered themselves when they were ashamed in the garden. Peter is still ashamed of denying Jesus, so he covers himself, and yet he wants to be by Jesus. He can't wait for the boat to get there, so he dives into the water and swims to Jesus. And as the disciples get to shore, they see that Jesus has made them breakfast. We see the loving, risen Savior still serving his disciples. Remember, he came not to be served, but to serve. And they had been out all night and were definitely hungry. And notice that when the disciples got to land, Jesus already had fish and bread prepared. He didn't need the disciples to provide for him. They needed him to provide for them. And Jesus is interested in this moment in restoring Peter, and he has set the stage to do this. I've mentioned this before, but there are only two times in the Gospel of John where a charcoal fire is mentioned. Once, back in chapter 18, where Peter is warming himself by the fire as he denies Jesus three times, and the other is right here, as Jesus is, in a sense, recreating the scene of Peter's denial. You can imagine as Peter smelled that charcoal fire and looked at Jesus, everything came flooding back. And in verse 15 we read, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, what is Jesus talking about here? What are these? Who are these? Some say that this refers to the fish that were caught. And so Jesus is asking Peter if he loved Jesus more than his profession. But I don't think that's what Jesus is asking Peter. Remember, Peter had said to Jesus that if everyone deserted him, that he wouldn't. In Matthew's gospel, Peter says, though they all fall away, I will never fall away. Many times in the gospels, Peter had boasted that no matter what, he would follow Jesus until the end. It seems like Jesus is doing some real heart work here with Peter. And notice he calls him Simon instead of Peter. Simon, do you love me more than these? Have you proven that love in following me to the end? And Peter knows that he hasn't. But he still loves Jesus. So he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus asked Peter the question two more times. And Peter answers the same way. 
Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know all things. And I'm sure you've heard sermons on this passage on Jesus's three questions in order to give Peter the opportunity to make up for his three denials. So for each time Peter claimed to not follow Jesus, each time he denied Jesus, Jesus is now giving him an opportunity to say, I do follow you. I do love you. Yeah, for sure, Jesus restored Peter in that way, but I think that there is something even more deeper and more profound and richer happening here in this text. If you focus on the themes that Jesus brings up in this conversation, Jesus is tying up some loose ends to a prior conversation with Peter. So think about this for a second. Love for Jesus is one of the themes of Jesus' questions. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter's response is that his love should be obvious to Jesus. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And this wasn't the first time Peter had made a claim of dedication to Jesus. So there's a theme of love for Jesus. But there's also a a theme of love for God's people. Every time Jesus asked the question and Peter answered, what was Jesus' response? Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. And that shouldn't have really surprised Peter. Jesus was telling him that love for him is displayed in love for his people. And then the next thing that Jesus brings up in this conversation with Peter is the idea of how Peter was going to die. Jesus says in verse 18, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. In other words, you will stretch out your hands and be crucified. You're going to die as a martyr. You're going to lay down your life for me. And by now, Peter was probably feeling a sense of deja vu. Like, wait, haven't we had this conversation before? And then suddenly Jesus ends the conversation with the command, follow me. And this should have jogged Peter's memory. Oh yeah, we've talked about this before about loving Jesus, about loving his people, about laying down my life and following him. We've already seen these themes earlier on in John's gospel in a conversation between Jesus and Peter on that Thursday evening before Jesus was arrested and before Peter had denied him. In chapter 13, when the disciples are in the upper room, It might be helpful for you to go back a few pages to chapter 13. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, you can turn to page 847. I want to read verses 33 through 38 of chapter 13. And as we read, think about these themes. The theme of love for Jesus, love for his people, laying down your life and following me. Jesus says, Little children, 
Yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say also to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. You see the connections there? Jesus was bringing up these things that he was trying to teach Peter before his death. Jesus gives his disciples this new command, this central command. Everyone will know that you love me, that you are my followers by the way in which you love one another. And then remember, Peter was like, where did you say you were going? I want to go with you. I want to follow you. I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, do you really think you have the ability to love me in that way? To be able to follow me into the death that I am about to die for you? And it's at that point where Jesus tells Peter that his love for Jesus is so fragile and that it will break very easily. You will deny me three times before the rooster crows. And so now fast forward to after breakfast on the beach. Peter was still struggling with the fact that he had failed, that he had denied Jesus three times and heard that rooster crow. And now Jesus is bringing back up all these themes again, but with one big difference. Jesus had now died, and he is risen. The thing that Peter needed in order for his heart to be transformed, to truly be able to love Jesus in return, had now been accomplished. Jesus had made the sacrifice on Peter's behalf. Peter's sins had been forgiven, and now Jesus promises to him new life, abundant life. You can read verse 18 in a way that seems like, well, Peter, uh, it's all downhill for you now. You used to be able to do what you, what you wanted, whatever you wanted, but your ministry is going to end with death with people taking you where you do not want to go. But that's the opposite of how we should read this. Jesus was saying, remember, Peter? Remember when you said you were going to lay down your life for me? Well, because of what I have done, you are now going to be able to do it. And, I, and in laying down your life for me, you're going to glorify God. We've seen over the last few weeks that Jesus, the risen Savior, 
comes to minister to some needy and troubled disciple who's in a place where they shouldn't be spiritually. And here Jesus restores Peter. He gives Peter the opportunity to confess that he truly loves Jesus. And he's saying to Peter, remember when you said that you wanted to follow me? Remember when you said that you would lay down your life for me and yet you denied me three times? Jesus wants us to be honest with our failures. He wants us to be transparent with our sin. Because the only way to be truly transformed and restored from your sin is to acknowledge it and not come up with excuses. So Jesus brings Peter to that moment. Remember that you said you wanted to lay down your life for me, and yet you denied me? Well, now, because of what I have done, you are forgiven. And I'm not only going to remove the guilt and the shame of your failure, but I want to use you in my kingdom. This is not only a restoration, but it's also a recommissioning of Peter. Jesus says, feed my sheep If you love me like you say you do, shepherd my people, care for them, teach them, feed them my word, and follow me, Peter. Follow me. Now, we are all great sinners, and we fail in many ways. But the scriptures say that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And Peter is a great example for all of us. Isn't the forgiveness of God incredible? He washes away our sin the moment we believe in Jesus. He justifies us. He declares us not guilty. And then he restores us again and again as we struggle with sin in this world and as we go to him with repentant hearts. There are mercies that are new every day for those who believe in him. We've seen the revealing of Jesus, the restoring of Peter, and now the refocusing to follow Jesus Jesus tells Peter to to feed his sheep and says, you will lay down your life for me. Peter, another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. Ministry in my name will cost you something, but follow me. And Peter kind of misses it. While Peter is restored, it doesn't mean that he is perfectly sanctified. Look at verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. And in verse 21, it says, When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Peter turns, he sees John behind him, and says, Well, what about him? So I'm going to die? What's going to happen to John? Now we all do this. Right? We say, well, what about that person, Lord? What are you going to do with them? We compare ourselves to others. 
right? Sometimes we think that we're better and that we deserve better than others. Other times we're jealous and we feel envious of others, of what God has given them and how their life, lives seem to be going. And Jesus says to Peter, if it is my will that he remain, if it's my will that John continues to live until I return, what is that to you? Follow me. Peter was playing the comparison game that the disciples were really good at. Lord, what are you going to do with him? And as Jesus says to Peter, he says to all of us this morning, focus on me. Follow me. Keep your eyes on me. Even if everyone stops following even if the life I plan for you is painful and full of hardships and what I give to others is not, follow me. Now that's a hard word. But Jesus is saying, don't compare. What is that to you? Jesus has a plan for your life. And it may not be like the plan he has for someone else. The will of God is different for everyone. Some live short lives, others long lives. Some suffer, others don't. We shouldn't be concerned as to why some have it one way and we don't, but we should fix our eyes on Jesus and faithfully follow him until the end. He says, Peter, I want you to follow me. He says to you this morning, I want you to follow me, even if I bring you into very difficult times of suffering. Follow me. Jesus wants us all to refocus on following him. And notice how John ends his gospel here. Verse 24. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. All of these things happened. Everything in this gospel happened and it is true. Jesus really revealed himself. Jesus really restored Peter and helped him to refocus and then in verse 25, John writes, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. That's a good ending too. The world itself could not contain the books that could be written. There were so many other things that Jesus did. But John has strategically chosen by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to put these things in God's word so that you would believe. I think what John is saying here is that Jesus is more wonderful than we could ever imagine. Think about all that we have learned in John's gospel about Jesus. He is the Word. 
the word who is God and who became flesh. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the bread of life, the living water, the son of man, the son of God, the light of the world, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, the true vine, and as Thomas said, our Lord and our God. And we've seen signs that point to who Jesus is and what he has come to do. He changed water into wine. He healed the royal official's son. He healed the paralytic. He fed the 5,000. He walked on water. He healed that man born blind, and he raised Lazarus. John has presented Jesus as the one who suffered for the sins of his people. He was crucified. He died. He was buried, and yet three days later, he rose from the grave. And John says that Jesus did more than this more miracles, he preached more sermons, he displayed more power than we know, he is worthy of more honor than we know, and he loves sinners more than we know. And so this morning, would you come to him? Would you follow him? Would you believe in him? And by believing in him, have life in his name. Jesus lived his life in our place. He died on the cross and rose from the grave in order to redeem and restore us. And so when we look at the restoration of Peter, we can be confident that if he can restore a guy like Peter, he can restore us. Do you believe that Jesus can do that for you? That he not only will forgive your sins and shortcomings, but that he will restore you and make you useful in his kingdom. To know and believe in Jesus is to have eternal life. And to follow him is to walk in the abundant life that Jesus gives. I'm going to go home today sad. (laughs) Because we've been in this gospel for a year now. And it has fed me personally. And it's sad to come to an end. What a Savior. I hope that you will remember that without Jesus, you can do nothing. I hope that you see that he is committed to not only redeeming you, but to restore you and make you useful in his kingdom. And I hope that there is none of us who will leave here this morning without him. May we believe in him and find life in his name. Believe and follow Jesus, the risen Savior, who redeems 
and restores those who have failed him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the revelation of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for this gospel that John wrote. We thank you that you have given us your word and that we've learned so much about Jesus, that we can have confidence in our salvation through him, that we can have life in him, and that he restores. What a savior. Help us to believe and follow him. In Jesus' name, amen.